Welcome to Three Devs and a Maybe. Now introducing your show hosts, Michael Budd, Fraser Hart, Lewis Gaines, and Ed Mann. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Free Devs and a Maybe. Uh, it's been a while and I haven't got my Yeti microphone so I apologise for any sound quality issues. But I am joined today by the ever-present and fluorescent Edman. Oh, I love that introduction. I have missed that introduction. Have you? Hang on, let me just... Uh, I'm blowing the dust off the microphone. Oh, <laughs> that was no. so sad, wasn't it? <laughs> Uh, it seems like ages since we last caught, caught up on the old podcast. Really does. It must be like over a month, at least, I guess. Yeah, it's crazy. I think the summer months. I remember when we did like the stats and stuff for the hunt. Well, when I did the stats for the hundred episode, and I was like, the the summer months are definitely where we lapse. I think you know we get like the summer vibes, even though the weather hasn't been that great. It's just you know you want to go out and enjoy yourself. Well, for me, I've certainly been in the just been in the office more, um, which has just been case of necessity really and you've been pretty busy as well yeah work, work's been pretty i mean it's, it's nice though it's good to we got some good results so but it's always you know it's the hard work and stuff but yeah, it's nice when it pays off but we have got lots of controversial things to talk about today so it's going to be good oh yeah you know it makes you know we, we are we are controversial kings on this podcast <laughs> so, oh, dear. Do, do you want to crack on do you want to start off mate well i was gonna say do you want to kick off with your i mean you've been ranting to me about it all morning about how you want to take down the government and install cryptocurrency as our primary currency so why don't you tell us what you can do with that see I, i'm not a government conspiracy type like this is the thing and i think I think we spoke about it a little bit the last time we uh, on the show when your friends cold wallet and stuff, Ethereum and things like that. And I mentioned that I was getting into the tech of things like cryptocurrencies in particular, like Bitcoin. Yeah, I've kind of I think the thing is you go down the rabbit hole of looking into the technologies of it. And then obviously you realize the practicality of it and why it exists. And I've been watching quite a few documentaries on it. I'm a bit late to the game. I mean, it's 2017, but it came out in you know 2009. Um, the white paper did from Satoshi Nakamoto. So, you know, it's been it's been a while uh, and there's been a lot of growth, a lot of up and down and stuff. And I think when people, and, and particularly me, you know, when I first heard about Bitcoin, probably about 2011, I was just like, yeah, you know, and, and you kind of think of it as this kind of Ponzi scheme kind of thing. And you're like, okay, really? And you just, you see all the YouTube videos where people are like, yeah, you can earn thousands, you know, by trading in this thing. And I'm like, I'm not a trader. I don't really like that idea. Um, so I, I've been, you know, kind of sucked into it from the technology point of view how kind of it works and how can you trust people without trusting people everyone's there for their selfish reasons really so that that kind of got me into it and then the documentaries and stuff that i've been watching have kind of got me more into the practicality of it uh, and you know how to bank the unbanked and things so yeah it, it's a, it, there's been a lot of uh, interesting bits and I, I know i've been preaching to you quite a bit you know this morning you've been kind of talking about mining and things and and stuff so yeah i mean where do you want to start well yeah i mean like i said to you this morning i really don't know anything about I literally my exposure to it as you know and I discussed on one of the other podcasts was some guy had like lost his the passphrase to his Ethereum wallet so you know I started hacking around I started using this like a quite popular tool I think everyone uses like a Python tool is it Python Recover or something and as long as you've got like a collection of words that you know you use quite often it'll basically you know just run through them and quite nicely like uh, concurrently as well but 
I, I had nightmares because I think I was running Python 2 and it needed Python 3. And People laugh at PHP. Can I just say people laugh at PHP, but Python has pretty much two separate languages in their, you know, in their ecosystem. I just branded it unusable, to be honest with you. I know that I'll set a lot of people, but I just, there's no way I'm going to try and learn Python now. Not with that kind of situation. Uh, people will probably say, well, just learn Python 3. But, you know, if they've done it once, what well, sucks for doing it again? But I don't know. But yeah, that was my exposure to it. So I know nothing about mining. In my mind, it's just like a bunch of high school kids in their garage. Just... It used to be. Not anymore, unfortunately. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the, the mining part of it and how you're doing it? And... I mean, so I, I want to preface this with I don't know anything at all. You know, like I've only know what I know from what I've been learning the last couple of weeks and I would be loved to be proved wrong. Um, it'd be really cool to get some people on the show who are far more technically, you know, savvy on the blockchain, on Bitcoin, any of these cryptocurrencies, uh, kind of, you know, this general idea of the blockchain and how it can be used in other practical use cases. Um, so I'll preface it with that. But yeah, for, so for me, really, I started off looking at it from the blockchain point of view, because you hear a lot of kind of interesting things about that and, and how that works. And this this general ledger kind of consensus idea that you can have a distributed system where there can be essentially a one true copy you know like that they work together on this thing and, and one no can't essentially attack the whole network and compromise it and things like that and so yeah the blockchain is this idea of a merkle tree which is hashed it all hashes all the way down where you've got blocks and it's a block hashed onto the, the other block so it's a permanent it's immutable so you can't change something in the past once it's happened it's happened so I started with that, and then obviously it goes into Bitcoin and things. But yeah, the, the mining, I mean, the, the interesting thing about it and, and reading his paper and stuff, the Satoshi Nakamoto, because that's his pseudonym. So you don't, we don't actually know him. So this is quite an interesting thing about the whole, the whole story as well, is no one actually knows who made Bitcoin or came up with it. There's been lots of different, there's this thing called cypherpunks who generate, you know, have been generating a lot of these things, trying to hide from the government and, you know, want to live in a world where they're not being tampered with and stuff, which is all cool. And yeah, he came from that space, the cypherpunk world, really. He publishes paper, or he or she publishes paper. People think it's a Japanese person because of the name, but, you know, no one actually knows, but their English is British English. So they think, oh, maybe they're from the United you know, Kingdom and stuff, but no one knows. And the argument is, well, how can we trust something that someone made that we don't know? And it's like, also, it's like, do you need to know? As long as the math is pure, like this goes with Bitcoin and with blockchain. It's like, as long as you believe in the mathematics, you can trust anyone. Like you can trust it. You don't have to trust anyone per person. You can just trust the fact that the cryptographic, you know, nature of it works. So for me, you kind of like going in and I was thinking, okay, so how do you get into this then? How do I, how does this actually work? You kind of think of it, you think, yeah, that's cool. So every one of us kind of all doing our thing and we're like, got all these transactions that have happened and you've got to put them in the ledger, essentially. That's kind of in the Bitcoin sense. It's a very simple blockchain use. So you put it in the ledger and your idea, you know, you're stamping it saying, these are the transactions that have happened. Now, if everyone just did that, uh, it would be anarchy because if everyone could just say, yeah, yeah, no, no, it's happened, that happened, that happened, you'd get all these chains. And the idea is it's the longest chain wins out. So, you know, the longest chain in the thing that we're up to is like the truth, essentially. The, you know, this kind of idea would be that we're just constantly bombarding everyone saying these transactions and they all contradict each other. So they put in something called the consensus algorithm and they use something called proof of work. And what that does is it makes it computationally hard to add another block or add, an, add a transaction ledger block. So it means then that people have to invest in it. So 
the, the, the way the difficulty works, and this is a very clever thing, is it dynamically does it based on how quick people are doing. But the idea is, is that obviously as CPUs and as, as kind of like computers get quicker and quicker and quicker, the difficulty gets harder and harder and harder. So that it's essentially comes to around to every 10 minutes a new block is generated. You know, in the case of Bitcoin is that you have your transactions, you have a the hash of your previous node, which is a previous transaction block, and you're saying, okay, these are the transactions you want, and you have a nonce, you have a number that you can iterate and change. And that's what you're trying to do. What you're trying to do is you're trying to get the hash of that whole transaction block you have. And it's kind of like you have to have a certain leading amount of zeros, or it has to be a certain, you know, mathematically below a certain number. And what that does then is it when you publish that and the idea is there's the consensus where it's like if the first person who ever publishes that will take it. We're like, yep, you won. You got that. You you beat us to the punch there. And that then stamps and it goes in and they they start on the next one. That used to be very easy to do. I mean, you could do it on your laptop. So in 2010, you could probably, I mean, still in your early 2010, you could have just your laptop running and you could be mining. And what that would do is you would be working with everyone else trying to compete to get the next block. And the incentive for doing that is you get Bitcoin. And that's the mining kind of aspect of it. Like, you know, the the idea of gold and things is, you know, you're mining essentially to find something. So you'd be, that's how the ecosystem works is that that's how Bitcoin comes into the the system is that through mining, money is generated. Over time, it's slowly slashing down because now we're at 12.5 Bitcoins per mined block. Uh, It eventually go down, down, down until I think it's like 2000. 140 or something because when the last bitcoin block her bitcoin will be will be mined uh, and that'd be like up to 21 million i think so yeah there's a finite amount of bitcoin as well that's another mathematical thing about it but it goes in you that's how they get money now one thing that gets me you know you kind of think of the environment so obviously this is all very good that we've got this distributed way anyone can go into it but the environmentally damaging part of it because essentially you're i mean it used to be say your laptop but now you have mining farms, mining rigs, people in, con- in countries like China that have cheaper electronic mean- electrical means, you know, being able to easier space to rent and then also the mo- how much money they can pay, you know, how cheap it is for electricity to the places and stuff. All this factors in because you're essentially doing these massive computations, thousands, trillion, I mean, like PETA, like they're onto PETA hashes, this idea, you know, how many hashes a second can we do? And the network is stupidly powerful. It's one of the, it's probably the biggest supercomputer going at this time uh, is the is the bitcoin uh, mining network and it's ridiculous like uh, the amount of work you're churning out to to not get anything because a lot of them don't get anything but you've now used all that electricity up and stuff so the idea of proof of work there is an uncle called proof of con- uh, proof of ownership i think it is a proof of cons- uh, and i'm not too sure about that one i have to look into it i think that's what ethereum's going to move over to eventually but the proof of work is the one at the moment where it's like we'll make it computationally hard for someone to try and disrupt the network and it, you have to be very you know it's it's almost impossible to cheat the system and that's me just yapping on about it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it is really interesting, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd actually like to speak about the supercomputing uh, uh, part of it at some point. But um, yeah, sounds like that's been keeping you busy. It has. I, you know, I wanted the technology part, looking into that, then looking into kind of, oh, this is interesting. I mean, there's been a massive spike at the moment. Bitcoin in particular, they had a uh, hard fork. So what essentially happened was... So you've got the network and you've got this, uh, you know, everyone agrees that the, the longest route wins, the longest transaction chain wins. So, you know, that's the idea. And 
over time, and then this is this is kind of like a very much like a legacy system kind of problem. So you have a system that you've been running for a certain amount of years, and now you want to change it. You want to like they've they found there was an optimization called segregated witness, seg uh, wit they called it, and it was this idea of being able to change the blocks in such a way that makes it better and, and, and you know far more I think it was it's easier to compute it's far more efficient now some people don't really want to do that and you, you I mean this is the hardest thing like you've got this distributed bit of software and you've got to somehow get everyone on board as much people as board to actually change their version of the software to meet this criteria to run it so it's this whole legacy problem of how do we get people over to it um, they've eventually got SegWit locked in. There was a lot of like back and forth with the miners because the miners obviously are like, the, you know, they maybe have too much power because it's like they obviously do the computation. So they decide and they want the most money and all this and is SegWit good for them? Uh, but they had something called a soft fork. Oh, no, it wasn't a soft fork then. They, they've locked it in that they're going to do SegWit, which is a segregated witness. Each block, transaction block can be one megabyte. Now, as the network gets bigger and bigger, they they have had this problem where, you know, it's obviously getting... It's becoming a bit more, it's becoming slower, transaction fees going higher because more people are using it. It's becoming more popular. So they're working on these ways of trying to speed it up. And this is one of the ones. And this one, you know, they've agreed on. But some people didn't like that. So some people have actually done hard fork. So essentially, like, you can think of it like a Git, you know, repo. It's like, I don't like the way this project's going. I'm going to hard fork you. And this is where Bitcoin Cash has come. So people have said, no, we don't want to do what you're doing. We're going to hard fork. We're not doing SegWit. And we're going to keep the whole history of the previous. So everyone's got their money still. But we're going to hard fork into another currency. And it's like an alternative currency, alt currency called Bitcoin Cash. And they've upped the transaction block limit to 8 megabyte. So they've completely gone a different way. And it's a very weird way of thinking. Like I can understand for like kind of people who don't really understand programming or understand kind of like, you know, very good if you understand Git, kind of the history model of like forking and things, because you can understand and think, all right, yeah, they've got the same shared history. It's like, hang on, this money's the same history. So I've got, essentially you could stay one day you've got one Bitcoin and now you've got one Bitcoin and one Bitcoin cash and they're just split essentially. So that's happened. So there's a hard fork there. And eventually there'll be hope. Well, maybe they're doing the two meg thing, which is two megabyte increase to two megabyte, the transaction block size. And that will happen in November, maybe. And that could be another hard fork. So it's a bit hard. Like, it's a weird thing to think that this money can be split, essentially. You know, like people are like, I don't like the way this is going. And it's just software. So it's like, I can run a different piece of software that would do it differently. Mind blown. I know. It, well, this is, I've been, you say, like, I've been reading a lot about it watching a lot of, there's a couple of um documentaries that really kind of solidify this like there's like the rise and rise of bitcoin banking on bitcoin bitcoin the end of the money as we know it these are three documentaries i highly recommend i put them in the show notes um there's another one that i don't know whether see this was another thing that i've never even thought about like the dark web or the deep web the unindexed web um and there's a documentary about silk road which was a highly prof- high profile illegal illicit drugs and whatnot website underground and it used bitcoin and that's another thing with bitcoin and i was one of those trying like oh i don't want bitcoin because it's just used by drug dealers and you know illegal for illicit reams but what i've learned is that people on the wrong side of the law are the ones that probably use the most recent technologies to keep up because they're in a very competitive market that need the latest and greatest so they obviously it's like you know they will be the first to 
to adopt technologies um, and try them out. And that's why Bitcoin was used. And people have, you know, always worried that, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, it's just full of Silk Road and all this bad stuff. But yeah, there's one, but a documentary called The Deep Web as well, which is very interesting, uh, which talks about like the Tor network and, and not, you know, like encrypted uh, like websites and, you know, web services and things. And stuff that I've completely kind of just disregarded for years and now finally thought, now I'm going to take a look into this. And now I'm a little bit obsessed because uh, it's, it's very interesting stuff. Just taking on your last point, though, about, you know, criminals using it, criminal gangs, whatever, is what is the traceability of the transactions? Because presumably that must be another appeal if they if they think that it's not as traceable as standard, you know, uh, bank transactions or cash or whatever. Well, this is the interesting thing about it. So it's actually very traceable. The only thing you have is that everyone can see every transaction that's happened. So I know that that wallet, because a wallet, so what you do is public key encryption. So pub, uh, yeah, so you have your public key, which is the key that's your wallet address. So people will transfer money to that. You have your private key that you keep. Now, if you lose that private key, you're buggered. Uh, anyone can get your money. But you then have to sign with your private key that I, you know, sign saying, yet yeah, I allow that person this this transfer of this money to this account and stuff like that. So the public keys are all accessible. But do I know that that transaction occurred with Edman or do I just know that your your ID? Yeah, so you just know from the public key. So every all these public keys are happening, but what happens though is that obviously in the Bitcoin world, like so so this has happened obviously with the WannaCry thing. So they they use Bitcoin and they people have been able to tally how much money that they've earned with the Bitcoin, you know, how much Bitcoin they've been able to get from the, the thing they did. But the minute they try and convert it to fiat currency back to, you know, maybe real money in quotes or want to use it, they've got traceability on it. Now, if they try and purchase a product from it, well, you can go back and say, okay, well, tell me where they put, you know, what was the address that they posted their product to? Because you've got the money trace. And it's like, if they try and convert that Bitcoin into, say, fiat currency, they're like, okay, what what bank account did they transfer it to? So there isn't actually an easy way of kind of hiding it i mean i don't i'm sure there may be some technical ways of laundering it but you can trace money throughout the system and what scares me what's interesting about it's like so if i gave you my bitcoin wallet address my public wallet address you could work out how much money i have in that wallet which is a very weird thing of thinking now, i know you can probably split the wallets and you say oh, okay, i have a little money in that little money that but people can just work that out down the chain and stuff so you are opening up how much money you have it's it's the way it has to work that you know we all have to know i mean this is what makes distributed that you're trusting now the network and the encryption in it and the cryptography ciphers and whatnot i have so many questions on this but i'm pretty best off reading about it but in in part of my mind i'm thinking because you can you can buy physical things now with uh with bitcoin for example right you can go to your corner shop you could buy a mars bar with bitcoin right and in a sense does that not then say devalue the pound because the shop has bought that product with hard you know sterling currency they've then sold it you know taking in bitcoin that must have an effect on the economy surely i think it does well i mean that that, so this is kind of one of the things that has happened the last month so you know for its whole life bitcoin has been very volatile uh it's a speculative investment they call it and at the moment it's rised ridiculously so my you know you could buy bitcoin for ridiculously cheap money you know like couple of pennies or so for a bitcoin now each bitcoin is worth three thousand three hundred pound at this time of recording three thousand three hundred pound per bitcoin now 
That's absolutely insane. So it's a selective thing where everyone's thinking, oh, you know, this is the next thing. And, and I do believe, like, this is one thing, I, you know, I believe in the technology. I do believe the cryptocurrencies are going to win. I don't know whether Bitcoin will uh, or one of the other currencies, but I do believe that this is going to do something and it is changing the way we're thinking. And even if it, you know, if it helped, we're very lucky living in like countries that we do where we have banks that work, you know, where, well, you could say that they work, but, you know, we're lucky we can actually be banked and stuff. Whereas some, you know, in some countries they can't. You know, it's crazy. I mean, I was I was reading something like um, in Kenya, I think it is, that they trade mobile minutes or something. They use mobile minutes on their mobiles as like transferring those as a source of currency, which just bamboozles me. It's just like that's a better form of currency than like say the the you know the government instantiated currency or something. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to put. I'll, I'll try and find some things on that if I'm not talking absolute rubbish. But I'm pretty sure that's something that you know has happened and. Yeah, it just bamboozles me. But you're right, though. It does devalue fiat currencies, you know, because people obviously are going to start adopting this. And there's like a very interesting person in this space called, I think, Andreas and Anatopanis. I'm sorry if I butchered his name, but he's done like a couple of books, Mastering Bitcoin, which is a very de- developer centric one. Definitely, if you're into the tech, that's something to look into. And another book that I'm just about to read is The Internet of Money. And that's kind of more about his like essays and discussions and stuff because he does a lot of I mean he essentially goes around the world discussing this. He he's from a Greek background, so his family are from Greece, so they obviously have had those problems. Uh and so he's dealt with it firsthand. But he's very clever and very articulate on what he says on these things. I was gonna say in your mind then you could see a time when all kind of like national currencies would crumble and cryptocurrency would take over and you'd have more of a global in the same way that the dollar i guess is kind of a global currency at the moment you see this is the thing this is where it gets into like you know our government you know i think for me even if it helps people who can't get bank accounts there's certain you know countries where you just can't get a bank account or it's very hard to do things these are perfect for them for for that that kind of means and i do believe that it's going to be like digital gold that it is a form of currency you know a form of value and the way it works is you're what you believe in are you believing in the government are you believing in a system you know of trust with people are you believing in math and i think that's the transfer it's like do you believe in mathematics and the cryptographic nature of it as opposed to in people um and i think that's where it's kind of come to you know, he, he, I mean, this Andreas guy, so he trans, he goes around the whole world discussing it and he prefers being paid in Bitcoin and he will use Bitcoin and he will only transfer from Bitcoin into the fiat country, currencies that he needs in that country for, you know, certain bits, you know, so he'll go to America and he'll transfer some of his Bitcoin into fiat currency, into, you know, US dollars, but his wealth and his kind of savings are in Bitcoin. Um, and I admire people like that. I mean, it's a very scary world to be in. Like, I still don't think it should, you should, jump right in like it's not something that i'm you know i'm very cautious and all these things so but for me the technology is is fascinating uh, and like its applications and stuff and you know you were talking about ethereum which is a whole different ball game um that's you know the idea that you can run a ver- essentially it's a supercomputer virtual machine on the network and essentially you know all computers share this distributed ledger and you can have autonomous programs running on this super machine supercomputer that you pay gas essentially that's how the, the ethereum or ether is you know to run these programs and you can have these decentralized applications that are just being run by everyone around the globe and the distributed storage of them so you know they're not can't be compromised it's just fascinating it really is can i ask a personal question then hit me like, 
How much money have you made since you started? <laughs> Nothing. In fact, I've actually lost money, I think. I'm not going to do like that whole, like, oh, you should invest loads in Bitcoin and stuff. I, I hope people have, and I'm sure people have found a lot, a lot of money out of it. I'm not looking into it to think, oh, you could get a load of fiat currency out of it or money. For me, it's kind of like... I think what I did actually was quite funny. So I, I did look at some YouTube videos. Like I didn't realize how much money I think people get off making YouTube videos and vlogs and stuff on YouTube. It's like a whole different world listening to what they were, were watching, what they were doing. You know, they were talking about trading and stuff. I'm like, oh, this is cool. I'll go on Kraken. This is like a trading thing. And I was like, I ain't got a clue what I'm doing. So I put, I put 20 pounds worth of Bitcoin in and I got, I think I got one, what is it called? Um, oh, I forgot what it's called. I, I got one one Dash, coin of Dash or something. This is another cryptocurrency and one Monero. Uh, and these are all different cryptocurrencies. These are all currencies that are kind of, they all have different needs and different, well, different, they solve different problems. So Monero is this idea of, you know, the problem with Bitcoin is that, you know, it's not anonymous. Well, Monero is anonymous. Somehow it's able to get around that whole thing and it's very, you know, hidden and stuff. So, but yeah, so I lost about, yeah, I was 20 quid really because what I've got is nothing, but it was just interesting and pun to like do some trading. Amy looked at me like, what are you doing? Like, what a waste of time. I'm like, this is the future, man. And like, you know, <laughs> and like, this is awesome. I'm a trader. And I'm like, yeah, no, I couldn't do any of that. That does sound scary, but it is so interesting. Uh, that's what I would say. Like, look at the tech. And also, you know, one of the things you could think is like me, you're like, oh, this is cool. Well, why don't I do some mining then? You know, naively, I thought oh, I could mine some all currencies maybe and I could just make money, you know, because essentially it's like, yeah, I've got a, a you know, a fast issue. I've just built a server, you know, it's fine. It's got like a, you know, latest i5 processor. It's got to be all right, isn't it? And then you realize, and I, I'm, I ragged my computer, my poor CPU. So CPU mining is pretty weak as it is anyway. I mean, it's pointless doing it now. Uh, it's all about GPUs. And then they've got these ASICs, which are the hardware-based um, uh, mining mining platforms. And uh, yeah, I was doing CPU mining for a day. And I earned a solid on mining different altcoins. I earned a solid five cents. Sorry, uh, for the people who can't see our instant message uh, channel, uh, Ed has just put, he made £80,000 in a week. So... Uh... Uh, you know what for, for more listeners and stuff we should put stuff like that in like these are the tra- this is what the get rich quick schemes is like the best way of getting followers and stuff so yeah i earned like loads it wasn't five cents now i don't want to know how much i spent really on power and also my poor cpu's like health on doing that so it was complete waste so you know people it, it to mine is very much like you have to have loads of gpus and there's been all this thing obviously where uh, a lot of a, like AMD CPU, uh, GPUs, um, graphics cards have been kind of sold up by crypto miners because they're like, yeah, this is a great card for it. And it's all it's all based on where the latest money is. Like Ethereum, at the moment, you can't do hardware mining on it. So you have to do GPU mining. It's got a bit of memory intensive use to it. So people buy up loads of GPUs. And look, I mean, one thing actually, we'd like, it would be awesome to get like a proper miner on the show who does the mining because their rigs are insane like they have racks and racks and racks of gpus just going with the gpu then you, you'd be talking you could have hundreds of cores on on those that they, they are yeah i mean because a graphic so a graphics card the beautiful thing about a graphics card is it is made for one job and that is pretty much number crunching and you need number crunching you're doing random numbers so you know gpus are just insane for that and then you raid them all you know you sli them or whatever you do and you have loads of them and you just go to town but thing is is like the the, the competition is not just you need one of them like you need 10 15 and, and even then you know if you're in a country where you know electricity is a lot of money 
you probably are going to be taking out more money. And there's this whole kind of thing. If you go on Reddit and stuff, you you learn like people do the calculations of how much it costs for electricity to how much you know they can actually mine and what profit they get. And they won't get that much profit really because the main miners now are in China and all these other places. It's it's pretty crazy. Kind of, it's become a big, big, big business. Wow. Okay. And they. So you would, if you had like multiple GPUs, you would network them the same way that you would like do a Pi cluster. Just I can't remember what the program is you use for the Pi cluster, but you just have one program that will connect them all. Yeah. So they they have GPU miner software that you can say, okay, you can use these cores and you know the, these GPUs to mine, and it will just do the work for you. I mean, to be honest, mining isn't that hard. Like to set up, like you can get CPU mining and GPU mining very easy, and then you have things called GP. They have like like miner pools you know mine pooling so essentially you're pooling together your resources with other miners so that you have a better chance of getting something out of it so you're not doing it on your own you're doing it with other people and you know the idea is that you know obviously if you solve it other people get some money of yours but you get more of a stable income out of it i mean some people probably still are earning enough money to live off um by just mining that's crazy yeah it's mental but for me it's too volatile and it's too scary for me it's the technology and kind of what it could be and I, I really think it's interesting. And there's a, there was a very good TED talk, actually. I think his name was Richie something. And it was the blockchain massively simplified. And it was just talking about like how this is like the internet revolutionized things. And now it's blockchain. And now it's the big, you know, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are revolutionizing things. And I can see it. I can see that turn. And obviously the money invested in it. I mean, you know, there is going to be a bubble in quotes where it will pop. I don't know when. But it's crazy to think we're up to £3,300 per Bitcoin which just bamboozles me when people would just chuck them around. Like I think someone in 2010 transferred 10,000 Bitcoin for a pizza or something. Someone bought, a, yeah, it was crazy, right? So someone in America transferred 10,000 Bitcoin to someone in England who then bought them a pizza. So that was like the first official Bitcoin transaction. Oh, wow. Just bamboozles me, 10,000 Bitcoin. But yeah, I mean, there's going to be new millionaires out of this. I'm sure there are already if you've just got out and stuff, but... People jump out, you know, at wrong times and you do this thing called hodling, which is hold on for dear life, which is just you just stay in it. But yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting space. I mean, with me, you know, I'm very much kind of like I get interested in something. So I read up loads about it and then I move on to the next thing. But this, you know, I kind of it's nice just to kind of, yeah, say these two books from Andreas and these talks and stuff I put in the show notes and these documentaries highly recommend just opens your eyes up to certain things. And, and for me, I was so kind of I just never really thought too much about cryptocurrencies as anything i just thought it was a load of rubbish really and it's really just me it's the technologies behind it so that's enough about me like yabbing on so what have you been up to man uh okay so you think like being all this time between when we did the last podcast i'd have loads to talk about but uh i don't know if i have really i mean i've been constantly reading that es6 book uh, which is really good really interesting and uh, uh i've sort of broken away from the react create class type uh, way of doing things and i'm you know making classes the right way forcing myself to do that now and uh didn't you mention to me it was so funny when you said like we've got classes and stuff in javascript but they aren't classes and it's like yep they're just you know it's just syntactic sugar on prototypical inheritance like that's all they've done is just done the transpiling for you <laughs> exactly when i sort of read that in the book i couldn't believe it but you know fair enough so yeah i've been reading that and then i i guess i've I don't know, it's in my nature, I always want to rebel against things that have a bit of a buzz to them, and obviously I think I was driving you mad on WhatsApp talking about Agile, and, you know, I worked somewhere that said we do Agile, and I was like, 
I mean, I had nothing to quantify against saying what we did or didn't. I never read about it or anything like that. And if we did do it, I'm pretty sure we did it hor- horrendously wrong because it didn't really do any good and we were always out on our projects. So, yeah, so I started reading. I bought a book uh, about Scrum from, is it Jeff Sutherland? He obviously was one of the guys who signed the original Agile Manifesto and all the rest. And, um, yeah, I, to be honest, I am really enjoying the book, but it's... It's obviously, you know, very kind of typical of these books where he's like an evangelist of Agile, so he tells you about these all these great case studies of where Agile, you know, really helped turn companies around and all the rest. And it is good. And there is stuff I'm definitely going to take away from it, but I, I still have some sort of things that I feel quite negative about it in the sense that one of the examples I said to you before the show was like, for example, if I went into an interview and said, no, I don't do Agile or I don't do Agile, would I then be... I, I bet any money that I'd be, I'd have a lesser chance of getting that job, especially if that company practiced agile. And people say, well, of course you would, because they, you know, look for someone who fits. And my counter argument, I guess, would be, well, yeah, but you also need people to challenge the way that you think. And I don't know. In my mind, like I see so many companies that say agile, agile, agile. Like and like you said to me, you said, well, okay, criticize it, but come back to me with a better option. I was like, well, all right, I haven't done that, but. <laughs> You know, I started reading about some of them before the show, and I don't know, I would love someone to come on the show who doesn't do Agile and does something else, even if it is waterfall, because I bet there are some companies that do the waterfall method and do it really well. There must be, right? Or, you know, alternatives. I would love to hear them, because it just, in my mind, it just seems so binary now. Like, you know, you're either waterfall or you're Agile. You're either wrong or you're right, aren't you? You're right or you're wrong. I think, yeah, that is true, and... But then Agile, like the, the, the whole concept, the Agile Manifesto and stuff was to change the way to make quicker feedback loops. But again, this is a trouble when business and stuff get into it and recruitment and all this kind of stuff and they become, it comes too corporate. And Agile's just become this buzzword for anything and everything. When you say, oh, do you do Agile? I'm like, well, I don't really, we do Kanban. We have a Kanban board. That works for us. We do some pair programming. That works for us. You know, we have P, you know PR requests. We do small iterative loops like that. And that works for us. And, you know, I think for me, it's the value in the people that do it. So any system can work as long as it works for your system. So don't feel bad if you're doing it a certain way that people, other people perceive him wrong. The reason why these other one, the other systems come about is because it didn't work for certain people. You know, I, I, I love quick feedback loops and, you know, like TDD is another thing that's come out of it, you know, with this idea of quicker feedback loops and better test coverage and more confidence in your code. Now, if you can get confidence in your code other ways, great. That's fine for you. Then if it works for you, it works for you. You know, it worked for, but for, you know, people like Kent Beck and stuff, this works better for them. And, you know, I find, yes, it's lovely having a good test coverage because you feel confident doing refactorings afterwards. And most of the time you're writing code, you're rewrite, you're refactoring or changing existing code. And I can tell you like you know, especially I've doing it today, like, Changing code is scary, especially when it's, you know, code that you know has been live and stuff and it's working. But if you've got good test coverage behind it, you have a far more confident kind of outlook on it. And you're like, yep, yeah, no, well, the test passed. I'm pretty darn confident then. And, and, you know, and then if a problem happens, you write a test coverage for it. You write test coverage for the problem and you fix the bug. And th- but for me, those are like agile kind of concepts or agile kind of tools and stuff to use. And then you've got obviously like the scrums and things, which are, you know, having these sprints and stuff like that, which are a certain way of doing it because getting completely away from the idea of like this develop, you know, design, develop, release life cycle of the waterfall where it's like two weeks do this okay another two weeks do this another two weeks do this again it's what works for you for me you know i don't think it's right or wrong anyway i think it's if it works for you great you know if it works for your team great i agree but uh actually my second sort of criticism would be like when you just said that if it works for your team that's great actually 
what does who does agile benefit does it does it benefit the developer or does it benefit the commercial shareholders or your clients who obviously need the project out on time on budget and obviously and pretty quite rightly that the answer is the client but and you could then argue okay well also the developer because if you're delivering projects on time it means that your agency or whatever is going to get more business and protect your work but actually in my mind i could see the potential for it to stifle the imagination of developers so I was talking to my friend Nick about it the other day and he was saying, well, yeah, you know, developers have a tendency to do more than they should do, et cetera, et cetera. And he was saying that as that, that's a bad thing. And of course, it is a bad thing if you're the uh, the client or whatever. But if you're the developer and you're delivering stuff that's way beyond what was spec'd out and it's fantastic and actually gives your client a new edge. I know what I'm talking about is very controversial. I can see the, you know, naivety in a lot of what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is if all you ever deliver is the bare minimum of what you're expected then don't expect to go and break, you know. You know what? I completely concur, man. Like, if you're delivering the MVP all the time, you're not going to change the world. And, you know, sometimes you need to break out of it. And, you know, this is just another rigid structure that people have provided. And, like, tools like Scrum and Sprints, they're all very structured around, you know, we know up front what we've got to do. Doom, boom, boom, boom. But, yeah, again, for me, it's the people. That's where the value comes in. Have you got people that can change the way things work, you know, and... You know, can they go above and beyond or can they change things and can they think a different way and stuff and let them do it? You know, if it works for them, it works for them. And, you know, I I mean, I value Kanban boards and stuff. It's great to know what people are doing. It's great to prioritize work. It's great to visually see stuff and be able to, you know, work through backlogs and work out what's going on and how things, you know, maybe things are, we're kind of back on time on that and you can see why and all that. You know, it's just one of those tools. It works for different people. You know, it's this be on end all where people are like, yeah, no, it's the greatest thing. It's like, well, it's just, it's just another tool. You know, if it works for you, it works for you i think in my marx's head i imagine like our commercial overlords whipping us i i can think that we're probably gonna say we're probably saying stuff so naively and again this is great though if people want to come on the show and talk about it that'd be awesome because if they've got other insights and completely you know whether it's the bitcoin stuff we've just been i've been talking about or whether it's the you know the stuff in here we're more than happy I'm, I'm i love being wrong because then i have a chance to be right uh, which sounds weird but it, you know you get a chance to learn then it's like okay i was wrong in thinking that so but imagine if like um elon musk had said you know when they were building a rocket for space actually you know just just get me an mvp and they're like well yeah okay but we're opening windows but it'll definitely fly you know <laughs> you won't be a sick person in it or whatever some projects just don't work like because you've got research projects and stuff don't you and that's the thing where you don't know like a lot of these plans work if you've got a very structured this is how the project should go and i know there are means in in you know agile philosophy and and scrum and all this that you know work out with that you know that things can overlap and and things can you know kind of go you know longer than they need to and stuff but with research you don't know and, and experimentation people shouldn't undervalue the, the the need for experimentation and stuff because that's how things move on i agree i completely agree yeah and we still need to get your mate nick on the show we still need to get him on the show <laughs> um, so the other thing I was going to mention was something I was listening to on uh, on Radio 4 the other day yes I'm that old I listened to Radio 4 and it was like a program about uh, the beginning of the internet and about security and some of the lack of security and how it's hard to retrofit some security they'd like to have in now and it was just honestly it was really fascinating because they were saying like you know, at the beginning it was just limited to like people that they knew and they were like oh okay we'll give it to this uh, university or whatever I'm like, oh, those guys won't do anything bad. I know those guys. They're really, you know, good guys. And they, you know, just didn't envisage the kind of commercial side to it. 
So um, I'll give you the link and then you can put it in the show notes. I think it's like a series and there's only one episode that's been on, so I definitely recommend that. Yeah, I think that's about all I really had. Um, seems like every podcast I talk about, I've had some sort of speed issues with Postgres. Well, probably to pinpoint Postgres is a bit out of order, but I've had a few speed issues with the database, which I'd like to talk about, but I think that'd be for another show. So um, did you have anything else? I've got a couple. So with your whole talking about the internet, this brought up this very funny thing that I watched um, that came up on a bit. It's a, because Bitcoin, again, and like the whole cryptocurrency space is a very different world of thinking or way of thinking. Uh, and it's it kind of brought up thinking how the people thought of the internet. What, what is internet that, anyway? Internet is uh, that massive computer right. network, mm-hmm. the one that's becoming really big now. What do you mean? That's big. How does one? What do you write to it? Like mail? No, a lot of people use it and communicate. With, I guess they can communicate with NBC writers and producers. Allison, can you explain what internet is? No, she can't say anything in ten seconds or less. Oh, <laughs> oh. Allison will be in the studio shortly. What, is what it? does it mean? It's a, it's a giant computer network made up made up of. It's it, it's it's a computer billboard, but it's nationwide, right. and it's it's several uh, universities and everything all joined together. And right. And others can access it. And, right. And it's getting bigger and bigger all the time. It's just great, isn't it, to kind of like think this is what people used to think what the internet was and trying to understand what uh, the at symbol is like the at symbol is about and all this kind of stuff. And you're like, wow. But it it shows that how, you know, technology moves on and our thinking moves on and how revolutionary ideas just take time and people can't comprehend and they have to look at things that are already in the existence now. But this was like an outtake of a Today Show, American TV show. They were, they were just about to do a talk on the internet. So this was like them thinking, what the hell are we talking about? Oh, that's great. It just makes me laugh so much. And, and this is what people probably like about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies now. But maybe in 10 years' time, they won't be. But there, there is actually one other thing I'd love to talk about. Uh, well, actually, just it's another thing I'd like to mention. Uh, two things, actually, sorry. So one is Colin Hardy. So we had him on the show a couple of couple of episodes back now. Uh, and he was a really interesting guest. You know, we were talking about cybersecurity. And his YouTube channel is just so invaluable for interesting looks into, you know, d- different cybersecurity tools and pen testing and, like, kind of just, you know, discussing all these different malwares and stuff. Uh, and one of the YouTube videos he did was five awesome tools to perform behavioral analysis on malware. And it was very good oversight for people like me, easy to understand. And, yeah, so I'd highly recommend that. Put that in the show notes and definitely check out his YouTube channel. And another interesting gotcha that we had this week. So... Some of us, is, we're still on 5.6. We're slowly moving to 7. And with 7.1, 7, 7. you get microsecond precision. And microsecond precision is awesome. And to generate microsecond precision, um, when you're using something like 5.6, you have to do it a little bit of a hokey-pokey way. There's a couple of gotchas. Uh, but one of the interesting ones is that if you pass in, so you've got the create from format in date time. So you do date time, create from format. And you pass in saying, I'm going to do, you know, you, uh, you know, Unix timestamp in seconds, dot you, which is the microseconds. And you pass in your microseconds. So you pass in your, you know, second Unix timestamp seconds and microseconds. And you're passing the date, you pass in the time zone, obviously. Now, one thing that the PHP date create from format does is if it's a Unix timestamp, it ignores the time zone. And we got bit by this. Uh, and it's quite scary. And it is in the documentation, but it's one of those things where it's like the API isn't doing what you expect it to do. And it was quite interesting. So you have to set the time zone again after creating the date time. Forewarned. Forewarned indeed. And that's it for me as well. Best podcast ever? Oh, easily, mate. Easy. You know, we've done some controversial things. and I'm sure we've said a lot of things wrong on this show. So, uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what we get feedback. Never. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what we get feedback-wise. But now it's been good getting back on the airwaves. 
I love sending the airwaves, like it's some old school, you know, ham radio kind of like, you know, illegal pirate channel. I love it. Pirate radio. Oh, man. All right, then, dude. Well, I think it's been a great episode. Do you want to, do you want to wrap this one up? Uh, you've been listening to Three Dozen Maybe. I'm Michael Budd, and this is Edman. And uh, uh, that's all for today. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Three Devs and a Maybe. You can contact us at contact at threedevsandamaybe.com or follow us on Twitter at the number three, Devs and a Maybe.